We're doing things a little bit backwards this morning. We thought we'd get the boring part out uh, at the beginning. Doesn't sound great. I'm kidding. Uh, We want to finish this morning with just epic celebration of praise. That's exactly what we're going to do. If you want to take a Bible, turn to Mark chapter 16. If this is your first time here at Bayou City Fellowship, we could not be more thrilled that you are here today celebrating the resurrection of our Lord. And man, extra credit for you for two things. Number one, you were here on time. That's huge for us. Uh, Number two, you got here 15 minutes earlier than you normally do at nine. I would imagine we'll have at least 100 more people uh, showing up in about 10 minutes from now. And uh, so we'll just judge them when they come in. They'll be coming in the back. So glad you're here. Mark chapter 16 is uh, where we're going to be this morning. If I asked you what your favorite Easter tradition is, I wonder what you would say. For some of you, it's getting dressed up. This is the nicest you will look on a Sunday for 364 days and uh, until next year. Uh, Some people's favorite Easter tradition is going and buying a new Easter dress for yourself or for your children, for your husband. Um, You know, it's the one time of year that we can, with confidence, buy things for ourselves in Jesus' name. You know, it's just a... It's a very, very great thing. For some people, it's hunting the Easter eggs. Uh, For adults, it's hunting Easter eggs where our in-laws have put money in them. That's always super fun. Uh, My favorite Easter tradition is is, uh, Peeps. You with me, peeps? Uh, For uh, you uh, vegans out there, God bless you, number one. I feel bad about myself. I don't need any judgment from you. But uh, for the vegans in the family, uh, marshmallows, good. Coated in sugar, good. In the shape of baby chicks, also good. Uh, There are a lot of different colors of peeps. There's the purple peeps. There's the blue peeps. There's the pink peeps. But my favorite are the yellow peeps because everyone knows that when baby chicks are born, they're not born purple and they're not born pink and they're not born blue. They are born yellow. And I want my marshmallow treats to accurately reflect nature, right? And so I get the yellow peeps and they are a favorite Easter tradition of mine. We all have those Easter traditions. Maybe just your very presence here this morning is your Easter tradition. It's been a while since you've been with us. Maybe you stopped in at Christmas and coming to church is an Easter tradition. We all have those things when it comes to Easter time that we do over and over and over again. Which is ironic because we're celebrating something that had never happened before. Now what's honest and true is that Jesus was not the first person in Israel to have followers. Jesus was not the first person in Israel to be called a prophet. Jesus was not the first teacher in Israel to actually teach from the top of a mountain. Jesus was not the first person that uh, people said was a Messiah or a Savior. All that had happened before Jesus. In fact, just a few years Before uh, Jesus was born, there was a guy named Judas, and there was another guy named Simon. There was a guy named Anthrongs. There was another guy named Judas. All these things were true about them. And so what happened to them? Well, they died. And when they died, their movements died with them. And when they died, their followers just dispersed. So you can get into the mind of Jesus' followers. They've given everything. Now Jesus is dead. And they think, "Uh uh-oh. 
this has happened to us too. We thought we were going to be exempt from this. We thought we were different. We thought we were in a different story. But it happened to us as well until Sunday morning came. And Sunday morning came and the tomb was empty. And now they have to understand what this resurrection means for them. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. You got a listening guide as you came in today. I'd love for you to pull that out. Four things I want you to remember. The first thing, resurrection means there is relief. Resurrection means there is relief. Mark chapter 16, verse 1. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and Salome, brought spices so they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they were saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. Now these women, first ones to the tomb that morning, they're very important in the Jesus movement because they were heavily invested. They were spiritually invested. They were followers of Jesus. They were disciples the same as everyone else. They were physically invested. Luke chapter 8 tells us that they actually provided for Jesus out of their own means. They said, Jesus, we believe in you so much that we're going to put our money, our very own money, where our mouth is and where our faith is. And we will support you so that you don't have to have a job, so you don't have to to do any more carpentry. We will support you out of our own means. These, These ladies, they did that. They were also emotionally invested. When Jesus was arrested, the disciples ran. These women didn't. They were at the cross when Jesus died. When they took Jesus' dead body off the cross and put it into a borrowed tomb of Joseph of Arimathea, the women were there. It's the women who, at the first available moment, sunrise, the day after the Sabbath, they're going to prepare Jesus' body for permanent rest. These women were totally invested, which made their pain even greater. Because when things fall apart, the more you are invested, the more painful it is. We have plenty of opportunity for pain in this world because we have plenty of investment. We have spiritual investment, we have physical investment, and we have emotional investment. And there are plenty of opportunities for that investment to come and sting us. Yesterday I clicked on the front page of the Houston Chronicle, houstonchronicle.com. Amanda subscribes to it. These were some of the headlines, not all the headlines, just some of the ones that were on the very front page. Man held in medical center parking lot, shooting. Ferguson released racist emails from clerk to two officers. Dallas area hit by three earthquakes in one day. French investigators say co-pilot accelerated plane on descent. Kenya attack survivor says gunman had scouted the campus. A sex abuse lawsuit settled against elite NYC prep school. Father and son shot to death. I didn't even have to click into any sub pages. That was just what was waiting on all of us in our hometown from our hometown newspaper. Plenty of opportunities where our investment comes back to sting us. 
And those are just global headlines, not to mention all the personal headlines in this room. Doctor says it's cancer. Financial woes remain. Conflict surrounds. The greater your investment when things fall apart, the more acute and painful your suffering. Because that's part of the human condition. We just live with wave after wave of pain and suffering. Some of you are riding that wave right now. Things are not going well. Some of you are in a time of peace, but you know that it's just in between the swells and another one is coming. But resurrection brings relief. Think how relieved these women were after all of their investment. When they got to the tomb and it was empty and there was an angel inside saying Jesus was alive. Resurrection brings relief and it is going to bring relief to you. Because what's going to happen from this point on, prayerfully and God willing, is that you're going to live a long, amen, good, amen, fruitful, amen, and happy life. But eventually you're going to die, which is bad news. That's why we wanted to preach first to get all the bad news out of the way so we could do the good news later. But you are going to die, and I'm going to die. The vegans among us are going to last the longest, but us people who are really enjoying life, we're going first, but we're going happy. And... Uh, So we're going to die. And the scripture says that when you die, you're immediately going to be with Jesus. How do we know that? We know that because when Jesus was on the cross, one of the thieves that was next to him put his faith in Jesus right there as he's dying. And with one of Jesus' last dying breaths, he says to this thief, today you will be with me in paradise. So when you die, your spirit, it goes to be with the Lord doesn't wait, doesn't hang out, doesn't see how things are going to shake out. Immediately, you are with Jesus. But they're going to put your body into the ground. Five years is going to go by, 10 years, 50 years, who knows, 500 years. And your body will decay and turn back into dust. And there's going to be this moment in heaven. And you'll be around for that because you'll be in heaven. When the Father says to the Son, it's time. Then the Bible says there's going to be this massive shout and this massive trumpet blast. And Jesus is going to return. And the scripture says that you'll return with him. And when that shout and trumpet blast happens, your body is going to be made new. It was sown in dishonor, but it's going to be raised in honor. It was sown into the ground without any glory, but it's going to be raised with fullness of glory. And that body is going to be made glorified and brand new. And your spirit, which has been with Christ that whole time, is going to be reunited. And when that resurrection happens for you, it's good news. It's relief because it means there are no more waves of suffering for you. Because Jesus will return to put all of his enemies underneath his feet. And it's not metaphorical victory. It's not a, it's kind of here, but it's not really here. In that moment, his victory will be total and complete. So in your resurrected body, there will be no more suffering. Resurrection means relief. Relief is good news in the midst of global and personal headlines. Resurrection also means there is forgiveness. Mark chapter 16, verse 7, it says, But go tell his disciples and Peter. I want you to remember that and Peter part. You know, forgiveness can just get lost in our religious speak. It's, uh, 
It's like a pop-up ad on your favorite website. You don't even look at the ad. You just look for the X. It's easily dismissed, forgiveness is. I think it's easily dismissed by us for a couple of reasons. First, it's easily dismissed because most of us think we're not really that much in need of forgiveness. Because we have this sliding scale. There's the wayward sinners way over there. There's the average people in the middle. And then there's perfection at the end. And as long as you and I are somewhere in between average and perfect, we feel pretty good. I remember one time I got invited to to share the story of Jesus at this uh, university event. It was actually a Christian sorority, which was throwing a party. And, uh, and they said, in the middle of the party, we're just going to shut everything down and we want you to talk about Jesus. And, and uh, so I said, oh, well, that sounds great. And, uh, I don't get invited to that many parties, and so I'll, I'll take it. And so I show up, and sure enough, it's a party. They're having a really good time. And, and the moment comes, they turn down the music, they turn down the lights, and everybody sits down and they look at me and And so I'm supposed to tell the story of Jesus. And so that's what I do. I start in the beginning, Genesis chapter one. God creates everything. He creates the whole world. He creates Adam and Eve. And he has this amazing relationship with Adam and Eve in the garden. He has fellowship with them. It's beautiful. It's wonderful. He walks with them. They know him. He knows them. But then they choose against God under the influence of Satan. Now sin is in the world and God and sin can't live in the same garden. He's holy and sin's not. And so something had to go and... Sin left. Adam and Eve are pushed out of the garden. That fellowship with God has been broken, but God had a plan. And his plan was to send his only son into the world. Not to condemn the world, but to save the world. Jesus, born of a virgin, wrapped in human flesh, 100% son of God, 100% man. Where you and I live somewhere in between average and perfect, Jesus was perfect. And he laid that perfect life down on the cross in obedience to God and for our good. Three days later, he's resurrected from the dead. He ascends up into heaven and one day he will return. And I say to these university students, and if you believe in Jesus, you have eternal life. And so I finish. They crank the party back up, literally. I go stand off to the side, kind of weird, awkward moment. I don't know if I'm supposed to leave. You know, are they going to pay me for this thing? Or is this like pro bono? Um, And so I'm standing over to the side, and this young guy comes up to me, first semester college freshman, no offense to any of you. He comes over, and um, he says says his name, and I say my name, and... uh, He says, I don't really care for what you shared tonight. I said, cool. Why not? And he said, well, don't get me wrong. I believe in Jesus and I believe in what you shared tonight. I just don't like the way that you shared it. I'm like, fantastic. Why not? And he goes, well, you just made it sound really easy. Okay. Help me. Oh, wise, 17-year-old. <laughs> he said, no offense to 17-year-olds. We believe in 17-year-olds. Just don't correct adults. Um, <laughs> he said, you told them that if they believed in Jesus, they would get eternal life. I'm like, yeah, that's what I told them. And he goes, but you don't know these students. I know them. I live with them. 
You don't know that they get drunk. You don't know that they sleep together. You don't know that they don't go to church that often. You don't know that they put on a good Christian sorority and fraternity face here at this party, but they're going to be different. And I said, I know that. I went to college. And he goes, you just made it sound like all they had to do was believe in Jesus and they could have eternal life. And I said, I did say that. You know why I said that? Because Jesus said that. For God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son that whosoever would believe in him would not perish, but would have everlasting life. You know what he was really mad about? He was mad that these partiers, wayward sinners, that all they needed was forgiveness to be in the same category as him. And some of us, Resurrection Sunday is just honestly not going to mean that much to you because you don't feel like you need that much to be forgiven for. The cross carries a much less weight if you don't feel like you need to be forgiven. But I want you to know that we are well represented in these stories. We're represented by the guards and their brutality and aggression. We're represented by the religious leaders and their self-righteousness. We're represented by the disciples and their fear. We're represented by Peter and his denials. We're represented uh, by the crowds and they're just getting carried away in the momentum of everything. We are in need of forgiveness. Second reason forgiveness may not seem all that necessary is that it's so available, it almost seems generic. When we say things like Jesus died for the sins of the whole world, it, it's just so available that it almost seems unnecessary. Like God just waves his you know, hand and like a magic wand and absolves us all of our sin. But look what it says here. It says, and Peter. See, Peter was a guy who would have definitely said that he was somewhere between average and perfect and probably pretty close to perfect because just a few days, uh, a few hours before Jesus was arrested and killed, Peter is saying to Jesus, listen, all these other guys, they may fall away, they may run away in fear, but I will never fall away. He was saying to Jesus, as Jesus is predicting his own death, listen, if you die, then I'm dying with you. I'm with you. We are glued together. And that's not what happened. That's not what happened. He was the worst offender of all the disciples. But his forgiveness was not generic. It was targeted forgiveness. It's and Peter. See, forgiveness is specific to you for specifically what you have done. It's not a vaccine that you just take and everything is fine. It's medicine that goes in specific wounds that are caused by specific sins. John chapter 21 tells us the story of Jesus' first interaction, one-on-one interaction with Peter after he was resurrected. Three times Jesus says to Peter, do you love me? Three times he gives Peter commands. Coinciding with Peter's three denials. 
So if forgiveness is just generic to you today, or it feels like, yeah, God is willing to forgive my sins, but it feels like he's just forgiving them from a million miles away, you need to know that the forgiveness that he has for you is targeted, designed, and aimed specifically for you, specifically for what you have done. Resurrection also means there's a plan. It says in verse 7, But go tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. So the plan is that he is going before you to Galilee and the disciples need to get to Galilee. Now you've got to get into the frame of mind of these disciples. Jesus' prediction came true. Jesus told them, you, know, you strike the shepherd and the sheep will scatter. That's what happened. Jesus was arrested the disciples, gone. Only one of them is at the cross when Jesus died. They're locked away in an upper room, hiding out because they're not sure if people are looking for them. Are they wanted criminals? They're nervous because they don't know are they gonna be received back into society. They kind of stepped out there and um, really made fools of themselves because they said to all their friends and family and fellow countrymen, listen, we've all been looking for the Messiah. The Old Testament prophets told us he was coming and they said, we believe Jesus is this one. And not everybody believed that. And so they burned some bridges There's some villages that they probably can't go back into. And so they're all kind of tucked away in hiding and their whole lives are in disarray. I remember one time late, late, late at night, I was driving down the freeway and there was a car up ahead pulled off to the side of the road. The hood was up and you could see kind of somebody underneath there. And for whatever reason, I just felt led, moved to stop in and help and so I pull up behind and I go to the front. It's this guy and he's just staring at his engine, you know, like he's gonna change it with his mind. He's not doing anything with it. And so like we stare at it together because I don't really know what to do. And so we're just staring. And after a while of that being ineffective, we, uh, I said to him, do you, do you need a ride somewhere? And he said, yeah, that, that'd actually be great. And uh, so we get in my car and I'm like, where do you wanna go? Why don't you take me back to my sister's place? And so on the way to his sister's place, about a 20-minute drive from where we were, I get his whole story. And his story is that he's working part-time as a security guard down in the Galleria, doing the graveyard shift, sleeping on his sister's couch with her family because he was married, technically still is married, but his wife left him and it was mostly his fault, but it was partially her fault. And I was just hanging out on his sister's couch and he's living out of his suitcase. He's got this part-time job, but he needs a full-time job, but he doesn't know what he wants to do. Long story short, what he's saying is my life is a mess. I said, I'm not wise in what you need to do next. I don't know. But there are a couple of things that I do know. So let's start there. Let's start with Jesus. Because when Jesus steps into disarray, order comes with him. Because Jesus has a plan. Jesus has a plan. He had a plan for the disciples. Meet me in Galilee. 
In the middle of their disarray and chaos, he has a plan. In the middle of your disarray and chaos, he has a plan. Now you've heard that before. You've heard a million times probably, even if this is your first time in church in the last 365 days, God has a plan for my life, a wonderful plan. The real core question though for most of us is, okay, if I agree that he has a plan, how do I know that that plan is good and how do I know that that plan is good for me? That's a great question. I love that Hebrews chapter 12, I think, answers it for us. When it says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Core question, God has a wonderful plan for my life. Resurrection means there's a plan. Is that plan good? Yes. Because Jesus is staring at joy. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. And what's it tell us to do? To fix our eyes on Jesus. So we are looking at Jesus and Jesus is looking at joy. We are following Jesus and Jesus is following joy. They're the same. You follow Jesus, you follow joy. He's got a plan in the midst of your chaos and disarray and that plan will bring joy. And what's it say? It says that he's at the right hand of the throne of God, which anytime the right hand is mentioned in the scripture, it's always with power and authority and honor, which means not only does he have a plan, he's going to bring his plan to pass and there's no one or no thing that can stop him. But you got to yield to the plan. Everything that the disciples needed and wanted was waiting for them in Galilee. Peace, joy, relief, hope, all waiting for them in Northern Israel. They just had to yield to the plan. If your life is in disarray and chaos, up is down and down is up, Are you yielding to the plan? Because the plan is good and it's good for you. And the last thing, resurrection means there is a mission. Jesus spends 40 days with his disciples and followers. Bible tells us that he unlocks the word of God for them so that they're able to see that he has been present from the beginning of Genesis all the way into their days. And at the end of 40 days, he's getting ready to ascend up into heaven. And these are some of his final words. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father 
and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. I love the Bible's honesty. It says they go up onto this mountain and it says they worshiped him, but some doubted, which I think both groups are well represented this morning. Some of you woke up filled with faith on Resurrection Sunday and you were ready from song one. You were kind of disappointed that we interrupted it with the sermon because you're just ready. Your heart's gonna explode. You're filled with faith. You are a worshiper. And some of us are doubters. Some of us doubt that God exists. Some of us doubt that Jesus is the way to God. And some of us doubt that, you know, even though we believe those things, we doubt that God has a plan for our life or we're doubting that that plan is good because it doesn't seem that good right now, if I'm being honest. Both groups well represented, but you'll notice the mission went to both groups. There wasn't one mission for the worshipers. Hey, you guys, you're with me, heart and soul. You guys take my name, my resurrection to the ends of the earth, telling everybody about me and baptizing people in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them all I've I've called you to observe all my commands. And okay, you doubters, you guys over here, you're not ready for the mission yet. Let's go over here and have a little powwow. Help me, let me help you walk through your doubts a little bit. I mean, how was he gonna walk them through their doubts? He was like, I was dead. You guys weren't there because you're a bunch of cowards, but people were. I was dead, now I'm alive. Stop doubting and believe is what he told Thomas. But both groups get the same mission. And the mission's not about them. Resurrection Sunday is not about you. And it's not about me. Which is great because there's this huge hole in you and hole in me that wants to be a part of something bigger than me. And that's what you're invited into today. You're invited into a mission that has very little to do with you. You are invited into something where you are just a messenger. You're not the message, you're not the main event, You're not the center of attention. You're just a tool in the hands of God, which is great news because I'm sick of me and you're sick of you. But God has entrusted us with something that's bigger than us. And that's what the resurrection is. There's just one tomb that's empty, the tomb of Jesus of Nazareth. And this day, is about him. Yeah, we get a lot of great things in the wake of the resurrection, but this is his day and we are his people. Relieved, forgiven, with a plan and with a mission. You know, there's only one disciple at the cross when Jesus died. Same disciple was the very first one to make it to Jesus's empty tomb that Sunday morning, all those years ago. Years later, he would write one of the New Testament letters. And in the midst of his letter, he said to these people that he cares about very much, I write these things to you 
that you may know that you have eternal life. It's Easter Sunday. A lot of us are here for a lot of different reasons. And maybe you just came because your Easter tradition is checking off that you went to church. Maybe you come every Sunday, but you're here to check the box as well. Can I just ask you a really simple question today? Do you know that you have eternal life? You're gonna leave with your check mark, but are you gonna leave with confidence today? Are you gonna leave with confidence that when they sow your body into the ground, that it's gonna be raised when Jesus returns? You're leaving with confidence because the scripture says that you can. In just a second, we're gonna worship together. We're gonna take the Lord's Supper together. Services are going to end and everybody's gonna be dismissed. But if you don't have confidence today that you have eternal life, we have this amazing place called the Access Room and we're gonna invite people to go back there for a lot of reasons. So it's just out in the lobby to my right and to your left. You can't miss it. We talk about it most every week and people are gonna be invited to go back there to pray. Maybe you, you need some relief in your life. You're carrying some heavy burdens. There are gonna be people who would love to pray with you back there. Maybe you're sick today and you want, uh, you want to pray that God would come and bring healing into your life. But we're also going to invite people to come back to that room who don't have confidence today that they have eternal life. And you can meet somebody back there, one of our pastors or just one of our church members, who will tell you their own story about when they got confidence, how they know with very little doubt that Jesus is Lord and that the resurrection of Jesus has meant something to them that it's connected to them. And you can leave with that confidence today as well. God, we uh, just pray together as a family. We pray that your heart, your mind would be with us. pray that your name, Jesus, would be honored above all other names this morning. And I pray that we would get caught up in the moment with intentionality and purpose, worshiping you because you were dead and now you are alive. And because today is bigger than us. And I pray for those don't have confidence in their hearts this morning about whether they have eternal life. I pray they wouldn't leave hoping that it works out. They would have a conversation today about what Jesus' resurrection does and can mean for them. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Why don't you stand to your feet? We're gonna share the Lord's Supper this morning and those who are helping serve communion would come and take their places here in the front.